Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. I am Don Povia, and I am joined this week by Kyle Bunch. If you listen to the show and pay attention, hopefully that's all of you out there. Uh, You'd notice that we didn't have a show last week. And Kyle, that's all your fault, man. It is my fault. That was, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a normal world when it was, uh, let's see, seven degrees in Austin last week, and it's going to be a high of uh, 79 today. So, um, yeah, you know, you learn to learn to appreciate the little things like power and water when you're without them for 48 hours. So glad to be here and, and in a room with light and seeing, uh, seeing your shining faces, everybody. And how was this experience for the family? We can talk about a winter for you. You know, you had the, the snowfall and wrapping your kids' hands in garbage bags or whatever you were doing. And now you lose power. It's a, it's a heck of a time down there, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, when, when in January you get the, uh, you get the once in 50 year snowstorm. And then a month later you get a statewide, whatever you want to call it, that shuts everything down. It was, you know, I, I, there was a couple of days worth of having some fun in the snow. And then when your power's out and you don't really have ways to warm yourself up, you're not racing to go play in the snow too much. Um, you know, it was, they were, they were far more resilient than I was, you know, seeing your breath inside your house is a weird sort of pioneer type thing that you shouldn't be dealing with in 2021. Um, but no, it was, it was okay. I think the hardest part for everybody, you know, like so many across the state was just the sort of overall state of uncertainty, right. Where it's, it's one thing when your power's out. It's another thing when you're kind of hearing, we don't know when it's going to come back on. And Oh, by the way, we were minutes away from, from a catastrophic situation that would have taken the grid down for months. Like, (laughs) okay. So, and you're the same people in charge of getting my power back. Okay. um, Well, there's the point right there, Everybody wants to blame everybody. And it's like, yeah, where do you, where do you begin? Yeah. So it was, Overall, it was, it was, you know, you, you sort of, we made it through, you, you learn to appreciate the, the neighbors, things like the neighborhood listserv that I would normally mock for being, you know, people complaining about property taxes that suddenly become essential forms of information when, uh, when you're sort of really trying to figure things out on a block by block basis. But um, some great neighbors who as power was coming back up in some places invited us in. To, to warm up and charge our devices and all the things that go with it. So um, yeah, glad, glad to be through it. Hopeful that the the weather we've got now is sort of indicative of we're going to, going to have a nice warm spring. Um, but then again, you know, if the extremes are there, we may have a 120 degree day this summer. So uh, you know, you may have a, a episode where I'm just sort of sweating, you know, like uh, I've got a headband on like Bill Walton and you know, the whole thing. So more fun to come. I'm sure. We were all we were all thinking and and thoughts and prayers being sent down there to our friends in Texas. But our guest this week has no such issues because she is in sunny California. And no offense to our friend Jay Busby, but our favorite favorite NASCAR blogger, Valet Hilaire. Valet, how are you? It's been years, right? Yes, it's been. I think the last time I saw you guys in person was at Blocks with Balls in Chicago. Um, yeah, so it's been a very long time. <laughs> Was that the 2010 one or the, I don't, these, these things all run together at Wrigley field that long ago. Yes. Wow. That, that, um, yeah, that is some time. And actually you were an attendee at the one in Vegas. So you kind of did the the back-to-back Vegas Wrigley field, a little bit different, but, uh, thank you for joining us. And, um, I I was joking before we got on the air, perfect timing, kind of right off of, right off of Daytona. Do you still follow the sport, even though you're not, writing about the glamour of it (laughs) um actually no in general i haven't been watching i haven't really been watching but then actually i did watch the race 
on Sunday. Um, and I did, I did catch the end of the, the Daytona 500, which was really cool to see Michael McDowell win. Cause he's one of those guys that will never win. <laughs> <laughs> and he wins the biggest one, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was really cool to see. Um, but yeah, I haven't, it's complicated. It's one of those things where it's like, um, there's a little bit of like resentment of like what could have been for me and my blog. And so it, it makes it a little harder to watch sometimes. Um, that's so why I, I've never gone back to a mom football game. Once I stopped playing, like <laughs> I haven't seen a single game since, cause I just can't bear to watch it. I know that feeling. Yeah. It's a little bad. So I always thought you were a bit of a unicorn, uh, a female motorsports. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but, uh, I don't think there were too many of you out there. Were there? Not really. No, it was, um, there was another blog of women. It was a group of women writing about NASCAR and I kind of thought of them as my competition. <laughs> I didn't want it to be like, I, you know, it wasn't like a, a serious thing or anything, but yeah, there were, there was them and there were some other, um, there was one, one off that was more a lot, just like gossip and NASCAR wasn't the only thing she did, but she did a lot of other general wag gossip type stuff but um she had an inside thing into nascar which was big i actually met her at one point but yeah <laughs> um well i don't yeah. mean to open up any like scars or wounds or anything but i want to talk about the fast and the fabulous is that all right yeah i'm happy to i'm actually really excited to talk to you guys because i never get to talk about it and it's like when i mention it to people that i used to have a blog for eight years about nascar they're like okay and then <laughs> So, so let's start at the beginning then, um, you know, why, how, how did it get started? And, you know, was there a real passion for the sport or a particular element of the sport? Yeah, I actually, and it's funny, it's actually another good timing, well, bad timing, but, um, uh, this is a 20 year anniversary of Dale Earnhardt dying, um, at the Daytona 500 in 2001. And, um, I am, a, you know, my family is a big sports fan family. My mom played basketball in college. My sister was a heptathlete my, and played basketball at Cal. Um, so I've been, you know, I am not a sports player person. I am an excellent spectator, I like to say. And so I, but I always knew, you know, I watched any sport. I would watch, I watched that drone league thing. Like I watch anything that's like a sport or something. Um, <laughs> so NASCAR was always there. Jeff Gordon is from the Bay Area, so I always knew about him. The kid that I had a crush on in, in, in junior high was a Dale Jarrett fan, so, like, I was always aware of, like, the players and who, who people were. Um, and then when Dale Earnhardt died, I, you know, that was a huge, huge story, huge thing, and I started paying attention, and I saw Dale Earnhardt Jr., and I thought he was attractive, um, and it was like, this is horrible, but I want to know what, um, what happens for him, you know, his father, who he loved deeply, you know, pass, passes away in the same race that he's in. And, and then it was actually like maybe three or four months later, MTV had a show called true life. I'm a, I'm a race car driver. It was one of those documentary things. And they followed Tony Stewart, Matt Kenseth and Dale Jr. And some fans. And it was a really good primer into NASCAR as a whole and the ecosystem of like what it's like as a fan and then what it's like on the driver's side. And I, of course, obviously I wanted to see Dale Jr. I wanted to see who he was, what he was like, what, you know, all that's about. But it really made me realize that like, this is a cool, like, I just like it. There's a lot of, you know, pomp and circumstance. There's a lot of traditions. 
Um, and I'm a fan of all of those things. And so I started watching because of him, of Dale Jr. And that was like 2001. And then I, years later, I was working for a newspaper here in the Bay Area, newspaper company um, that had the Oakland Tribune. And I was a web producer responsible for like making sure that the content that was in the paper made it online and then creating online only content. We didn't have a NASCAR. We didn't have a blog. We're, blogs were just happening. Like I was like the blog whisperer for the columnists who were like just copying and pasting. I, I love that all our guests like, right. <laughs> they really are like at the forefront of this technology and this media. It's awesome. Yeah. It's fun to think about. I was like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. That was really the beginning of it. Cause even like they were having a hard time grasping the concept of like, no, you just keep writing and you just, it doesn't have to be all formal. You can just do whatever. And they're like, what? um, so kind of blog admin. And then we only, we didn't have a motorsport section online. I created one. We only had one writer who would write, even though we have two races, well, we did, I don't know if we saw that. We had IndyCar that came here every year and NASCAR every year at Sonoma. So I created the, those sections and I created the blog there. And that was like in 2006. And, um, and yeah, and so I, I started the blog there. And then once, when I left the company, I took the blog with me and it was just my own. So you, you started the Fast and the Fabulous there. Yes. Was it, was it called that at the yes. time? Nice. And what was it, what was the impetus behind, behind that? Was it about, you know, you mentioned uh, MTV, right? Is it that personal story, right? Getting beyond the track? Uh, w- was there some sort of uh, catch like that? In the beginning, it was just like, let's just, I just want to talk about whatever. Like I'm not at the races. We, again, we only have one race. Um, so it was kind of like what I saw on TV, just my thoughts. And it kind of started out that way. And then the name was just, my manager at the time came up with it. Um, which turns out the Fast and the Fabulous is actually the name of like a LGBTQ bicycling club. Um, <laughs> so it was actually there before me. Um, but I just thought it's like, you know, I'm a girl, you know, I'm not going to talk about like how their cars are running. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, I mean, to a degree, but like, I'm not getting into like, you know, stuff like that. So I just wanted to be like a fun thing over time. It evolved into my kind of, it's about my experiences at the track and who I interacted with, what I saw, what I heard, my observations and just kind of like, it's truly like, even to the minutia of like, I flew into Chicago. I had to drive to the track. There was a huge storm. I didn't even get there in time. I had to drive back to the hotel. I couldn't even get my credentials. Like just random stuff like that, that weirdly people enjoy. So. (laughs) Well, you mentioned watching it from TV and now being at the track. I mean, this is a run that you had for about nine years, right? With the blog. Um, You know, was this something that you saw as a potential career opportunity about being a NASCAR journalist? Yeah, I, and I never thought of myself as like, yeah, I'm not a journalist. (laughs) I saw it as I wanted it to become my full-time job. That was always my goal. I wanted to get enough advertising so that I could support myself and travel and go to all the races. And I think at my peak, I only averaged about like five races a year. Um, But yeah, it was, that was always the goal. That was always, but that was always the hard part. That was always the most difficult thing because I picked the one sport that has the most traveling and 
the biggest obstacles. <laughs> um, it would be a lot different if I was just like covering the Warriors or something. And like, I could just go to all like half the games and be good. But like, so you really do need to be there to get something different than what everybody else is doing. There's just a lot you can't see um, from TV. So, yeah. Did you ever get approached by say a Yahoo or a CBS or any bigger company about um, being acquired or absorbed? Yeah, I, I I remember early on I got asked by Tyler Blazinski at it wasn't it wasn't Blogs with Balls it was at Blog World um, they had a sports track and he was there. We were the um, sports track. The sports track was Blogs with Balls, so there you go. Yeah, <laughs> he, but they, he asked me about joining SB Nation, and I was like, I don't want to because I'd have to change every I'd have to change the way it looks and I have this thing in my head about like I just want to I want to grow me I want to be my own thing and I don't want to be tied to someone else I don't want it to start becoming a job Mm -hmm. and I don't want to have to explain what I'm doing I don't want people to give ideas like (laughs) you don't want a boss that's that's what you're saying what you don't want a boss exactly I didn't (laughs) want to have to like yeah, I didn't want that. But it, so I got asked by like SB Nation and like Yard Barker and like uh, someone else. And I was like, no. Um, and at one point I did get asked by Fox Sports at, towards the end to come and like write for them. And I seriously considered it. But just financially at that point in time, I wasn't as well off as I am now not that I'm well off but you know what I mean like I didn't have the money to like make that jump um even though they were I think they were going to pay me but we never talked about how much so it's like uh, this is all too did you, know. did you ever think about kind of doing doing a bit of both or you know sort of you know I remember days of uh, Don I think you maybe jumped in on some of these where I was sort of running a SC blog but doing some moonlighting over here and you know was there ever a thought of Hey, I could be a columnist and have this presence in all these different places or, you know, just sort of, was that just, that's also a huge time commitment. So obviously, you know. Yeah. It, I mean, I should say, like, I also have a day job. Well, <laughs> there's that. Yeah. So like regular nine to five job. And then this I- is why hugging Harold Reynolds never took off. It was that pesky day job that just <laughs> kept getting in the way. Yeah, well, it had nothing to do with the brand that was, uh, you know, clearly just <laughs> made, to, made to scale. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, so I did some of that. There was a NASCAR magazine that was like a free, it still exists, um, called Pole Position. Um, There's like a free magazine that they would give away at tracks and then also at like grocery stores and stuff, which, and that was just a direct, like taking blog posts of mine and sticking them in there with pictures and most of it was like a lot of sponsor stuff where I would like talk about like Office Depot was doing something with Tony Stewart and like he had like this sexy calendar that they were doing and I would <laughs> I wrote this whole thing about like ooh Tony Stewart's bringing sexy back and like all that anyway so that would go in there so it's a very direct thing that was easy for me like that I could do when it comes to like taking what I do and sticking it somewhere else where like nobody knows what that is it doesn't it doesn't, I, so it, you know what I mean? I have no desire to write in like the traditional way. And so I also didn't get a lot of, I think I tried that once with some publication. I can't remember what it was. I don't think it was HuffPost. It was something else. And I, it just was like, what's the point of this? 
I mean, were you hindered by the sport, right? In one sense, I would think that you could really carve a niche in that. But then, um, you know, for these larger publications, there's probably not a huge audience for in the more general sports section for NASCAR. Do you ever feel hindered by the sport itself? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, I think that I definitely... There's a lot of opportunity that was technically there within the world of NASCAR in terms of sponsorship, because it's it's a world of sponsors. That's how all the teams live and exist is based off of sponsorship. So there's all these companies. I definitely got a lot of support from sponsors in these one-off things where um, they would invite me to, like I went to the Sylvania race in New Hampshire, Sylvania paid for me to come and some other bloggers. And like we had to do some of their activities and all that stuff. Um, so I had a bunch of opportunities where people paid for me to come out. They're sponsors of a team or something. And then I got to like interview people because of that. Um, so I got, I had that, like the kind of in-kind sponsorship. But what I really wanted was like a long-term, let me be your blogger or let me, you know, be your blogger essentially. And like promote, I had, you guys, I had so many ideas, like every single idea. First idea was let me become an embedded blogger with a, with a driver. So then I spent time emailing all the PR people for all their drivers, like especially the lower level guys who like don't get a lot of attention, don't have like the big money. I was like, let me just like be with you guys with hang with the team, write about what's going on. Nobody bought. Then I was like, sponsors let me be your <laughs> let me be your blogger and I will write about whatever you want to talk about whatever new product you got I'll do it nothing then I had an idea to be like let me go on the road like those guys who did the major league baseball where they went to every single uh football baseball field yeah um stadium I was like I want to do the exact same thing I'm going to get an airstream I'm going to drive all over this country going every single mass price. I have the whole thing mapped out. I knew exactly how long oh, you got. A, Kyle, you got an Airstream yet? <laughs> uh, it's on the list. It's right. uh, after, after this week. I figure if you, you, when you move to Austin, don't they give you one of those? Uh, I mean, I'm working my way up to it. <laughs> Unfortunately, now I have to think about things like generators and, and solar power uh, after this week, but, uh, but eventually we'll get there. Uh, you know, it, it is, it is, you know, definitely a badge down here. You've got to, got to work your way to for sure. Valley, something that we hear quite a bit is I think what you're describing and, and it's a timing thing, right? It's like back then, it's almost like they weren't ready for it. Just as you were trying to explain what a blog is or what digital media is really to the newspaper people. It's like these sponsors are so set in doing things that the way they do when they're presenting with something new, they just don't get it. Um, we had Eric Amarola at our uh, Super Bowl event, and I've spoken with his team quite a bit since then. And, you know, they have exactly what you described. they but it was sponsor-based, right? So Smithfield is the sponsor. Smithfield is like, how can we elevate our sponsorship, right? By essentially funding a personal videographer that documents what he does, which is exactly what you're talking about. But talking with them, it, it doesn't seem like there's still not a lot of guys doing it. Like he's doing that really well. And it seems like such a natural thing, especially, and I've done some work with NASCAR. I know a lot of people that work for the company is they're always trying to tell these stories of the drivers, right? How do you really, you know, bring out their personalities and, and, you know, showcase their personalities? Um, do you think that 
the timing uh, hindered you or still that if they don't get it now that it's just the structure of the the sport doesn't isn't conducive to these new ideas yeah i think there is a little bit of timing i think oh, but not from the nascar side timing from my side and maybe a little bit well actually maybe a little bit of timing just in now because now everybody's a freaking influencer and you can you know whatever um but i think there was a little i think for nascar and sponsors they want to do these cool things and be like let's you know, get to know the driver and their personality, but they want it to be in this very specific way where there's no friction or no chance for friction or no chance for spontaneity, but it's all very this one way. And that is the limiting thing. So they're not big on, and in my particular, I think, um, struggle was that I, you know, I had a, a good audience of like women, like 90% of my audience was women, but I didn't have enough page views. Um, but in order to get more page views, <laughs> I need more money. But in order to get money, I need more page views. And it was like this never ending thing. It's like, you can't, you know, um, so, and I actually had an idea and I was going to do it. I had, had a guy who was like a videographer person and I was going to go and find some like lesser known, like known, but not as known drivers that I could. And there's some PR people that I had good relationships with who trusted me. And I was like, I will come to North Carolina. I will, let's do something away from the track. Cause I can't film at the track because NASCAR won't let you unless you have permission. Um, and I wanted to do some like cool stuff. There was a driver, right. Uh, driving for Richard Childress racing who in Richard Childress has a winery and I was like let's go to the winery and we'll interview and talk and do fun stuff whatever so I like wanted to do stuff like that and I could <laughs> but it comes down to resources at the end of the day and so without having someone backing me it just made it really hard to kind of do that and that's the direction I wanted to go I wanted to go into that kind of fun away from the track let me talk to you about real things and like what are you really like kind of a stuff? Um, and yeah, they're not, they, the sponsors want you to talk about their stuff and they want it to be in a very sanitized way. Not saying that I would be like a shock jock. I am not like Howard Stern. Like I'm not going to be asking them like about their sex lives or something, but if they, you're not totally, I don't know. It, it's a weird Thanks. Well, and I think back then, especially it was different, right? I think a lot of brands have gotten more savvy about the ways to more naturally, more authentically get their message through different channels. But at the time it was sort of, hey, here's the blurb you need to inject somewhere in there, or here's the 20 words you have to use. And so I think that definitely stunted some of the growth in the space. And we've talked to others, you know, when we had Pat Wickstead on and kind of looking at it from a PR standpoint and you know, there were some who got it and built the relationships and as a brand working with writers and creators, but a number that just were treating it like it was the worst of sort of a media buy and a PR release all in one of like, I'm expecting you to do this and here's a release and just kind of print it verbatim. So I think that was uh, back then definitely a major thing to be contending with. Yeah. And it, there's no one that really or at least had the power. There were some people where um, I had good relationships with the PR people, um, like with Office Depot and like some of these other brands where 
they would give me something they liked what I did with it because I wouldn't just post like this press release. I'd put it in my own voice and be like, it's this, it's that, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they were never in the position to do something <laughs> or say, we really want to get behind valet. We see where she's going and we want this to be, we want to be a part of her rise and kind of her take on the sport is really cool. And people really appreciate it. Like I made a media kit that had, you know, quotes from people who read, who read my blog and were like, it feels like I'm there with you at the track. Like I probably will never get to go to a race, but with, because of you, like I get to feel what that's like to be in the garage and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, it's super frustrating. Cause it's like, you guys, this is, I'm talking to people who are, who are very much engaged and it's like, we could do some really cool stuff, but they just, it was just hard to get in front of the right people and it's hard to like get their attention and get them to see the vision when you don't have a lot of like, I, you know, serious numbers to contend with. Um, what was, what was the tipping point where you started getting these invites and started getting the passes to the thing and you started getting the outreach from something attracted them? What, when, when did you realize that, you know, you can take the show on the road for a bit? Oh, I always thought I could take the show over the very beginning. When did other people think you could take it on the road? (laughs) It really took, uh, it's hard to say like how many, like, like a couple, like I say by the time of, of like 2009, like with blocks of balls and that kind of area around that time, I was getting, you know, stuff, um, getting asked to do stuff or being sponsored to do stuff. So I would say like 2008, 2009 in there. Um, it, it helped when I would go um, like, oh, the other thing is NASCAR, I think in 2000, around that same time-ish. Because um, up, up until then, I would have to like request media credentials from every race that I wanted to go to. Like I'd have to send them a request and everything like that. Um, which by the way, the very first time I did that, I was at A&G newspapers. I was in an established news organization and I asked them and they're like, what's a blog? And I was like, what? And they're like, can you send us clippings? I was like, I'm in clippings. It's a blog. <laughs> I was like, like, I can send you the promo of what they're going to do running the paper, what that'll look like, but I can't send you clippings. Anyway. So I always had to ask, and that was like a bit of a, like, who knows what I'm going to get, if I'm going to get the right passes. Like I always wanted to get a hot pass because the hot pass, you can be in the garage when the cars are coming in and out. Otherwise it's a cold pass. And that's just like being a fan. So there's literally pointless. So it was like, it was always a, a crapshoot of what I would get. And then NASCAR instituted a, I think they call it the Citizen Journalist Media Corps, which I did not like that title at all. Um, it makes me sound like, I don't know. It just, I didn't like it. It's a lot of uh, words to say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember there was that brief moment where Citizen Journalist was like this sort of, let's try to make blog sound more, you know, means something more. Legitimate. You know, yeah. <laughs> but that, I just, it just sounds cheesier to me. Like it made it less legitimate to me in my mind. And that, you're, you're really making me look like rinky dink here. But, um, and it, which by the way, like they did that because there were a lot of people who lost their jobs from like mainstream publications who went off and started their own stuff. And so NASCAR saw all this happening and was like, let's make a thing so that these people can still get credentials and still cover the sport through their, their new pubs. So anyway, I got included in that. And that allowed me to get a hard card. 
which actually I don't think was a part of the actual program. The hard card I found out later was the head of um, NASCAR PR. He personally gave got me the application because I specifically had asked for a hard card application like a couple years before that. Is that like a permanent hot pass? Is that yeah? What it's okay. basically like anybody who like the drivers wear them. If you watch the the races and their wives and uh, girlfriends or any like. PR people, they all have these little hard cards. They're like little rectangle plastic things. And that is like the badge of honor. Like if you have a hard card, you're like, you're somebody. <laughs> Cause you can't just get that. You have to be invited to get that. So, um, so getting that was like a huge, huge milestone. It was like, instead of asking a track, if I could come, I just had to tell them I was coming and then they would give me a seat because I had a hard card. So, so that kind of like opened things up. So after that happened, that changed, I think that was what helped me get more of these like sponsored trips and stuff like that, because now I had like open access to everything. I could be everywhere. So one thing that we heard, and I don't want to belabor too much on this because I want to talk about more what, what you're up to now. But um, when we talked to Maggie Hendricks, um, you know, a lot of well, maybe it's Chicago <laughs> media, sports fans, um, but, you know, found a lot of misogyny in covering MMA and football. Um, Do you ever experience any of that with NASCAR? Not overtly. So I don't know, for me, it's hard to say what it was because there's a lot of reasons why a person could be um, a butthead to me um, in that world because one, I'm this black chick walking around the, the, the garage. Nobody knows who I am. I come from I nothing. So for me, a lot of the time for me, it was like showing my credibility. By Do they know you're a unicorn? Yes. <laughs> I mean, the, it's pretty obvious because there weren't a lot of us black people running around the, the females garage. and females, so, right? Yeah. <laughs> period. Um, so you know, I kind of stuck out and and I was with no one. So like a lot of the time it was always me by myself at the track with over time I grew to like new people and like knew the PR people and they knew me. Um, or knowing some of the other media people, like Marty Smith is just wonderful, super nice guy. Like so being able to kind of say like, Hey, he knows me and he, he's cool. Like, <laughs> or, you know, um, you know, being able to say hi to some of the drivers and them knowing me and being like, Hey, she's cool. So like having that over time, but there were a couple people who were like, just plain like dicks, like where I tried to like get interviews with their driver and they would make excuses or whatever. And I don't know what that was. It could just be like, you're not in a, any sort of publication that we care about. So why give you time? Um, but luckily because of the way NASCAR is structured, I, there's a lot of ways to get around that. If you really want to interview somebody because they always make them available. Um, especially, you know, uh, during the, the Friday before the race or at champions week in Las Vegas, there's always like the top drivers are there and they always have this big media pool thing. And so it's really easy to like get to people who their PR people are jerks and so you could just go around them so i don't know if that's because i'm a girl or because i was black or what but um we'll never know <laughs> over time did you notice and I, I mean the number of shifting factors within nascar and more broadly in media and society but did you notice any differences 
over time, particularly as social media was, you know, becoming much more than blogs and taking off and drivers had more ability to, than racing teams to build the direct relationships. Like, did you, did that translate into different ways that they were thinking about working with you and, 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 or going direct to, to an audience instead of relying as much on media? Was that a present? I know, obviously a lot of your time was maybe at the early days of that, but, um, I feel like it was, it was as, as I was there from the beginning to the, like, there was this trend of like Twitter. That was the big thing was like everybody who's on Twitter and what are they, what are they saying? And there were some drivers who were a little bit more vocal or used it more than others. Um, Like I would say like a Kyle Busch or somebody like that, but I get a lot of uh, tweets aimed at Kyle Bush with Kyle Bunch. I have like a number of DMs that are people telling me how inspired they are by my driving and things. So, uh, oh my God, that's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's a good guy to talk about. He's a, an enigma um, to me. Um, uh, but so I did see it kind of shifting and then there was more of this, like, let's just, we can talk here kind of a thing. And especially, um, but with NASCAR, they're very good about like incorporating fans into everything. So it never felt like we're getting shut out or even before social media or anything like that. Like you always, there's always this connection to the fans. And so to me, it never felt like, oh, this is a totally different shift. I think maybe they started like they're started um, Jeff Glup started doing tweet ups before races and then the drivers would go to that. So they're very much like into going to wherever the fans are and whatever that latest trend is, you know, they're very much open to like adapting to those things. So I did see that, but to me, it didn't really change like the complexion of everything. You know what I mean? Like, it's just Mm -hmm. like, it's just another thing um, that they would take advantage of. So you brought up race. So putting your, your blogger hat back on and have having an opinion, uh, which, you know, NASCAR has always had an issue with that as, you know, as long as I can remember, at least and really coming to the head with, you know, the Bubba Wallace incident not long ago. And now you have Michael Jordan, you know, putting together an ownership team. How has the sport, its fans, um, handled race issues, especially with what we've gone through as a country in the last year or two? Yeah, I can't totally speak to that because again, I'm not in this work now. I'm not plugged into that, although I still somehow am on their mailing list. But I um I think, you know, it's hard to say because even when I was there, you know, I never felt like people were um, although you could see sometimes see the Confederate flag in infield and all that stuff when I was around fans or when I was out, you know, in the paddock or whatever, where all the fans were, I never felt like, Oh, this is an unhospitable environment. Um, That's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, the first race that I went to was well before, I think it was sometime between 2001 and before I started the blog was at Sonoma. And I remember the guy who got me the tickets for free. Um, I like to say that I've never actually paid to go to a NASCAR race because I've never actually paid to go to a NASCAR race. Nice. Um, But anyway, the first time I went as a fan, I, the guy told me like, oh yeah, you can bring all your stuff. And then you just, you can put it down where you want to sit, like in the dirt, whatever, because it wasn't like a seat place, whatever. 
And then you just put it down and you can go walk around and do it. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you're saying I can just leave my stuff there and nobody's going to mess with it? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, you, you're kidding me, right? He's like, no, you just leave your stuff there. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So we go and we left our stuff. Nobody messed with it. Like, it was fine. Like, there was no, what are you doing here? Like, looking at you weird. Or like, there was nothing like that. I would say, like... And obviously my experience isn't everybody's experience, but um, I feel like I've never felt threatened or weird. I've, you know, I've only had experiences and memories of like me coming out of the media center and going to my car and this guy is like, hey, you want to come to Enfield and have a party? I was like, no, I'm good. I don't know you, but (laughs) I'm not going to go with you. But like, so I've never... So, so, but they do have an issue in the sense that, you know, it isn't the most diverse uh, sport and you do only have Bubba and you have, but it is good to see, but you have had like Brad Doherty was a a team owner. I'm not sure if he still is. Um, I spoke to him. He was great. Like he didn't. Can you imagine him squeezing into a NASCAR? I have this photo of me with him interviewing him and I'm holding up my recorder and I'm like, and I'm five nine. So I'm not like short and like, I'm looking up at him and I'm just like, (laughs) he's just so big. It's amazing, but super nice guy. But yeah. I. Do you think then they did the, um, you know, to the casual sports fan or to the keyboard warriors out there, or, you know, that think NASCAR is this big, nasty place. Do you, you think from a, let's say a general public perspective, it might be, the issue might be overblown? Um, I would say I would err on the side of yes, mm-hmm. only because NASCAR builds itself as a family sport a family event where you can bring your entire family like I've gone to Fontana where there's a large Hispanic population and they encourage that they were trying to get more um Latino people to come to the races and when you go there'd be tons of them there was a very diverse crowd I mean we're talking Asian black you know Latino and obviously there's still um it's a lot of mostly white people, but, <laughs> but the diversity is there amongst the fans. And I'm not saying it's like the most diverse sport right. in terms of fan audience, but there is a heavy and the, the, the tracks and depending on where you are, they cater to that. They're not trying to like keep it this one way. Nobody is doing that. And I can tell you that flat out. I mean, there might be some one henchman evil person who's like, no, no, like let's not do any of that could totally be happening. And I'm not saying that they're not, it isn't a very skewed to the conservative crowd. It definitely does. But when it comes to like being at the race and all of that, it's very much a family carnival feel to me in terms of like what you're going to get when you go. So, cause I had apprehensions the very first time I went and, and to a certain degree, every time I would go, but only from just like a perspective of like by myself, Nobody knows who I am, media stuff, whatever. I'm just more about how media people were going to treat me than how random people, fans were going to be. And for, but for the most part, people are really cool and nice. That's good. Yeah. I feel like sometimes that, you know, you see a little bit of this cross sport, right? Where if you're actually at the game, at the event, it's a much more inclusive environment. If you just look at it through the lens of, media and sports talk radio and some of the places that the the worst is sort of designed to bubble up 
then then you get a different perspective. But that's um, you know, and and then I is also curious just the prejudice against the NASCAR audience, right? There's that flip side, which is like, oh, hey, we're gonna stereotype the audiences. It's a bunch of conservative Southerners who, oh, they all must just be you know, virulent racists. And, you know, I, and I, well, I never went that far down a road. I think I'm as, I'd, I'd cop to being as guilty as, as many, as far as looking from the outside in at NASCAR with a very stereotypical lens for a while. And as you got closer to it, you talked to the people that work there, you started to watch some races that you realized that that was, that was as unfair as the people who paint with a broad brush about NBA athletes or anything else. So um, it's good to hear yeah. from you that perspective. Yeah. And they have done their, you know, the drive for diversity program and their, um, you know, combines where they're bringing in women and, you know, minority groups to get more drivers of color and, and women, um, to come into the sport. And they do have, you know, I believe they still have the races in, in, in Mexico and they are trying to like, they're doing all the right things to try and make it more diverse. I think it's just hard just because it's such an expensive sport to be a part of as a driver, um, or to find a ride and to get up. It's just it's very, it's like, be, it's like being a NASCAR blogger. You just need those resources, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they say when you want to um i think when they say when you want to own a nascar team start with a lot of money and then you'll like and then you'll end up with less money um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a similar thing like i wish i hadn't like come in with like a ton of money and then i could have like done it right but yeah so so you've been doing your your quote-unquote real job uh as long as you've been blogging so was this all running parallel simultaneous uh to it you had a a, a real job like the rest of us yes and it was so NASCAR was basically like my those were my vacation days. That was my vacation time was going to NASCAR races. And um, the best time I had was actually I was in between jobs and um, I think I was just freelancing actually at the time. And I ended up going to Charlotte for 10 days for the the all star race and the Coca-Cola 600 and stayed there for 10 days, which was like so awesome because I finally got to be in Charlotte I finally got to go to like the race shops and all that stuff and I had like the best interview with Tony Stewart um which is hard to do um <laughs> but yeah so like it, it yeah that was always my it was like my hobby it was like the answer to every question is what I like to say it was like what are you like everything in my life was oriented around the blog and making that a thing and making that happen to the point where you know, I didn't have, um, like all the extra money I had went into that. Like, that's where my focus was. And that's where all my extra time went. It was never like, you know. So since 2006, what have you been doing for a career? Um, well, digital, blog, digital marketing, right? Well, yeah, the blog ended in 2015. I ended it in 2015. And then uh, but at the same time, I just started originally when I started my career, I was doing website content management um, work and then moved into digital marketing. And I worked at an ad agency and then went into like just working direct with uh, working at like a B2B companies and doing digital marketing. And so perfect, because this is exactly where I'm going at. Right. The three of us were bloggers at some time in some capacity. And I think we all use those things that we did in that, whether it was the very tangible creation or at least knowing from the insight perspective of what people are consuming. Um, so 
how much did one help the other or vice versa? I don't, I think it helps me in understanding and giving people best practices when it came to blogging for a company or content marketing, especially in terms of telling people like you need to have like, what's the point of this piece? <laughs> what do you want them to do at the end of the day? Um, what is this about? Why should I care about this? Is this worth me giving you my email address? Cause you're, I know you're just going to like email me about stuff about your company. So just being really mindful of like how people write. Um, that's one thing that I take and still do to this day of like, what is the point of this, <laughs> this thing that you're writing about? What's your goal? Who's it for? Um, is it valuable? Um, especially with all these, you know, companies, especially B2B companies, you're trying to create content so you can get SEO, um, search engine optimization um, and optimize and optimize. And so it's a lot of testing. And I think that's another thing as well from the blog, from doing a blog. For me, it was always a test. Everything is a test. Everything is, well, let's see if this sticks. Like when I started doing the, I created a hottest driver competition and it was like a bracketed style tournament. And that was just to get more traffic. And it was an experiment. It was like, I don't know if people are going to go for this. And they did. And it became this really cool thing. So, um, <laughs> wait, no, I, all right. I want to go back to that. I actually do have that in my notes about what was Tony Stewart was the sexy what? No. So that was separate, but he did. No, win. I, I, I know, but I'm, well, I'm saying like <laughs> these type of contests that we could let fly in 2006, 2007, 2009, um, you know, how, how would you feel about doing that as a NASCAR blogger today? Like, you know, I know from a guy's perspective, like we can't do the sexiest female drivers. Um, right. So and I'm not judging. I'm just, I'm no, just curious. Cause it's, yeah. it's crazy what we did and the times that we've gone through and where we're at today when it comes to some of the content that was put out back then. Yeah. I think it, you know, it wasn't necessarily like this. I didn't, I never positioned it as like, who's the hottest, like, <laughs> looking or whatever. It ended up being more about like, it's almost like their most popular driver contest that NASCAR does, okay. whatever. It ended up being more like that because people would end up being like, everybody has their driver and they're going to vote for that driver. Regardless. For that. It doesn't matter if he's particularly attractive to them or not. It's more of like, it ended up being more like that. And, um, and Tony Stewart did win the first time. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Which. Uh, and there's 90% female readership. So, you know, they're paying I mean, attention to these things, I guess. Surprising to a certain degree to me, not because Dale Jr. was in it. Like Dale Jr. <laughs> wins everything, um, regardless of what it is. From a fan perspective, he usually wins. And so it was really interesting. And then the, the prize, though, is the best part because the prize that I created was a series of hot sauces that had the, the hottest driver logo that I created on each of them. Oh, you're, these ideas, you are well ahead of your time. My God. I am the idea girl. I have so many ideas. Like I still am very, do you still have, do you still have some of those the hot sauces? Yeah. I, <sighs> I only bought them for that. And then okay. I did that. Yeah. Um, no, but I, it makes me sad that I never got to do like the Airstream and traveling around. Like I even contacted a company that has Airstreams that you can rent 
I think it's called Airstream to go. And I was like, let me just have one and I can promote it and I'll go around. And like, it, you know, that didn't happen, obviously. But like, it pains me the ideas of things that did not happen because I had a lot of, a lot of ideas. So if given the opportunity, if, if the right thing, if NASCAR came along or a driver or a sponsor, would, would you jump back in? Um, maybe. I think it'd be cool. I, you know, I do miss it to a certain degree. Although all the guys that I, well, most of the guys that all the drivers that were there when I was there are like now gone. It's so weird. Um, we're it's getting, we're getting old. Sorry. And I hate very, to, very sad. <laughs> it's very disconcerting. Like literally the kid who won this past weekend. And I was like, who's that? I was like, what? Um, he's 12. Like <laughs> Kyle, that sounds like Matt Cerrone talking about the Mets spring training like no idea who's who's there anymore that's a, as we talk to everybody it's both how their career progressed how the technology's changed and how none of us have the time to be as immersed in sport and are all doing that same thing of like who is this guy playing shortstop now what like and how young is he, when was he born like i think i started this blog the year so he's, he's old enough to have terrible. a driver's license right yeah <laughs> oh god i don't want to think about it like that yeah that that's that's yeah I, I turned 40 last year and it was, a, it was very much like, I get why people have midlife crisis. Cause it's like, what? Like, I'm not, I'm not the youngest person in the room anymore. Like I, 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 I turned 40 and ran two marathons. So I saw the most terrifying ad last night, which was a poster that has every, like a dot for every week. And the idea was that like, you fill it in, like, this is your whole life, like empty squares for like up to a hundred. And it's, it's to motivate you. And I'm sitting here at 42, like, oh God, oh God. I like, this is freaking out. Just seeing the ad for it. Like this smug 23 year old who's like, you know, like, oh man. Anyways, I, I keep going forever. Yeah. It, my back's hurting. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> I did think about doing like a new blog about just being a, like a, a fan, a sports fan, and kind of talking about a bunch of different kinds of sports. I had that idea for a second, so I'm not sure if I, I might revisit that. But well, let's put it under the outside game because we're trying to figure out how to expand our content offerings a little bit. Like, why not let it float out here? And if you like it, you can you can take it like you took your blog. Well, we won't hold you to it. Yeah. We're going to just become the Legends game, where it's just like all of your favorites <laughs> coming back for a three inning, you know, before the game kind of thing. Yeah, I love it. I hope you guys do more events because those were so much fun. I remember having my uh, sweet tea vodka on stage at. It's uh, uh, <laughs> the one that everybody talks about sneaking up on them at that that, that really oh, yeah. event. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was so good. It was really fun. But yeah, I love. It. I miss. I miss in person events. But yeah, so do we. Yeah, and you talked. Um, uh, well, I think actually before we hopped on, but you're keeping those creative juices going. What are you, What are you up to now? Yeah. So I have, um, I, in January of 2020, perfect timing, I opened my very own stationery shop. It was a brick and mortar store, um, selling like greeting cards and journals and all that stuff. I love writing obviously. Um, and I personally love journals. I have a million of them that I haven't even written anything in. Um, and I opened in January, 2020, had to close it because of COVID because of the shelter in place in uh technically in March obviously that's what happened but then officially in May and then just pivoted to online um I always wanted to eventually have it be an online component but then I had to actually do it um 
so now it's online only. And that's something that I'm hoping that I can like reopen when things become normal, normal again. Um, and yeah, it's been really fun. I like, I like, uh, I like curating things and I like finding all these cool stuff that I think is really cool. It's mentally exhausting selecting items for a store of, you know, every single card. And, but I love it because it's like, you know, it's all the good stuff that I think is really cool. And I like sharing that with people. And I love when people buy stuff and are like, Oh my God, I love this. So it's, did you have a, a employees or was this a one person shop? No, it was just me. Yeah. Just you. And, yeah. And I actually had, I still had a full-time job at the time. <laughs> um, I bet your hours were fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, I was working from home. Oh, okay. So before the store even opened, so I already was working from home. So it wasn't like anybody at my job was like, what's going on? Like they had no idea. So nothing was changed from their perspective. I still worked the same amount of effort and time for them. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, good luck. And we hope you're able to open up again. And certainly with these like live events, we, we had such grand plans for, uh, yeah, for, for what was going to happen, but, uh, Super Bowl's in LA next year, right, Kyle? That, that might be, we might have to wait that long, but eh, it's something to shoot for. Yeah. Yep. 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 February of next year. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, by then hopefully we should be, be in a safe spot. (laughs) Well, who knows with California, (laughs) I'm just, yeah, at this point, you know, two blizzards into a year in Texas and everything else, I, I take nothing for granted anymore. I know. And then we have fires. So not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be great. And Well, yeah, let's end this on a high fire. note for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. It'll be fires, storms, pandemics. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, Valet, it was really, really fantastic to catch up with you. I mean, obviously we we're friends on all the socials, but, you know, living 3000 miles away and not seeing each other in years and, and just seeing you like engage with what we've been doing. I'm, I'm glad that we connected and we got to tell your story and hopefully your friends uh, that doubt it, your background can hear a little bit more about where you came from. Yeah. Thank you. It's been great. And I, I love the series. I think it's awesome. I loved hearing everybody. So it's really cool. So, awesome. And you're you. a part of it. And I'm going to reach out to Eric and some of the people and say, Hey, I got some girl with some ideas. If you need, uh, you know, if you need some, uh, and I'm serious about the content stuff. I mean, if you end up like messing around, let us know because, you know, we'll put it under our umbrella and if you want that and, and push it out for you. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to, I'm going to keep noodling on it and think about what I'm trying to, what it is I want to say, but yeah, that would be really cool. Sounds good. Well, again, well, that that's a bit of a higher note than the one that we were going to end on. So until next week, I'm Don Povia. That is Kyle Bunch. Thank you to our guest this week, Valet Hilaire from The Fast and the Fabulous. I know she's not there anymore, but that is where she'll ever be in our hearts. So <laughs> God, I dragged that one out. Until next week, Don, Kyle, Valet. See ya. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Valet. Thank you.